Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We are continuing our study today on the bait of Satan, and uh, I know it seems like this has been an eternal and perpetual study, (laughs) but... uh, Uh, perhaps one more Sunday, maybe two, and uh, we'll be through this. But I feel like the Lord has really, uh, if nothing else, challenged all of us in some areas. And I will say this of myself, that it has unearthed some things in my own spirit and things that I have had to address. And I'm thankful for that opportunity because it's one thing to be aware that something's in your life and ignore it. (laughs) And it's, and it's another thing to be oblivious that something is going on. But when something is made aware and, and it gives you the opportunity to react to that, to respond. And so in the process of this study, we have not been in pursuit of a nail to hang all of our troubles on. We have not been in pursuit of the proverbial donkey to pin the tail on, somebody else to attach all of our hurt and misguiding and all of our feelings uh, upon. But we have been in pursuit of what can I do, what can I do to uh, help me because at the great uh, judgment seat of Christ, there's just gonna be me that has to give account account for me. And uh, at that moment, all of the names on our proverbial hit list will not matter. Amen, well, I, I, I just slapped you without warning right there, didn't I? All of those names on our proverbial hit list will not matter. We're gonna have to give account for us, for me and me alone. And so I pray that the Spirit of God will help us. The book of Acts chapter 24 and verse 16, we are still uh, in a conundrum with our media, so we're gonna do it the old-fashioned way. I hope you still own a Bible. (laughs) There's a thought. Hope you still own a Bible and bring it to church and a piece of paper and something to write on because I'm going to give you some scriptures today that I I hope and pray that you will write this down or underline them in your Bible. The book of Acts chapter 24 and verse number 16, the scripture says, and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. I'm gonna pause and read that one more time. And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense. This is a two-part scripture. Void of offense toward God that doesn't sound like too hard. that's too hard because he's God. So we better get things straightened out with God. And I think we always keep ourselves a little lower than God. So even when the Lord does things that we don't understand and we do have legitimate questions, 
I think we've got enough sense at the end of the day to realize I can't be offended at God because he's God. (laughs) And his ways are not our ways and on and on and on. But the writer doesn't end there. It said void of offense toward God and toward men. Now this is another subject altogether because now that means that I have to get right with people that I feel like either we are on the same level or either we may be above them. And so now I've got to get right with people that I deal with every day or at least deal with the aftermath every day. And so what Paul is saying is that it takes an effort to stay free from offense. And so Paul, because he said it, it's going to be an effort to stay free from offense. And let me just insert this, that, that once you get over something, doesn't mean you're over it forever. Because just when you least expect it, something's gonna happen to trigger something and it can absolutely spiral your life out of control and you gotta grab something and say, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't go back there. And I really appreciate your response. I really do mean that because we've all been there. And so Paul uses this term that all of us can agree with and herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So we have to exercise ourselves. We have to be pretty intentional about this. And so you, you exercise whether you feel like it or not. We exercise our bodies. And when you exercise, you know that you're less prone to injury. Now, I'm not gonna keep talking about where we've been, but I, I do wanna just say this because it is pertinent. In the last couple of weeks while visiting in Oregon and Washington, we were... Uh, ourselves exposed to quite a bit of, of hiking, a considerable, really a considerable amount more of, of hiking on mountain trails than we normally do here in North Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and because uh, everywhere you go there is either uphill or downhill. So every morning after we would take these hikes, look, looking at waterfalls and different things, Every morning following, I woke up realizing that I apparently own muscles that I had not been using in quite a while. I was also aware of this, that had I, I, had I prepared myself for the journey, I could have prevented every bit of that. The pastor where uh, I was preaching is, is an avid mountain climber, mountain bike rider and hiker and hunter. And as a matter of fact, in just a few weeks, he and a few other mountain climbing friends of his are scheduled to climb Mount Hood, which is most literally in their backyard. So in an effort to make sure that he is in shape for this climb, he's been climbing several different smaller mountains in the area. And so when I use the phrase smaller mountains, please don't think they're just hills. We were riding down the interstate and he pointed to a mountain and he said, I've climbed that mountain five times in preparation. He pointed to another mountain and he said, a few years ago, I climbed that mountain eight, eight times because he was preparing for another excursion. And so this mountain climbing is done with great intentions and they are, these particular mountain climbs are done with great intention. These are not recreational climbs because he is preparing himself for the journey of a lifetime. 
exercising himself into a position to be able to endure things that he is quite confident stand in his future. And so the reason my muscles were aching is because I had not been exercising to prepare for the journey. <laughs> I realize this suit covers a lot and you can't tell that I don't climb mountains all that often from where you sit. Several years ago, one of our camp meeting speakers was Brother Harold Hoffman from Sterling Heights, Michigan, and he was making some reference along this line, and he said that he had a body that was built by hostess. <laughs> I think, I'm not at all proud to say this, but I think I can relate to that a little bit. Aren't you glad they closed? <laughs> In the book of Acts 24, 16 Vine's expository dictionary defines exercise as this, to take pains, endeavor, exercised by training, and here's a word, discipline, discipline. And so it means intentional. It means that you have to press, push, make yourself. So Paul says, I'm gonna exercise myself into a position that I do not have offense in my heart toward God or men. So I'm just gonna keep exercising. I'm just gonna keep pressing. And sometimes others offend us or our situations offend us and it's not really that difficult to forgive because we've been exercising ourselves, and we are able to overcome it and get beyond it Therefore, no, no injury or permanent damage is done. You don't wake up the next day feeling the tension and the soreness. You just move on. Many other people could have perhaps climbed those trails in Oregon and Washington and not been aching because they were in shape. As a matter of fact, on one of our, on one of our excursions, we met a, a, a quite an elderly gentleman and uh, we're standing there trying to pretend that we're not gasp, gasping for breath and <clears throat> trying to convince him that we just came through a bunch of rain that's not sweat, as you suppose. <laughs> and he had just hiked seven miles through the mountains. And he said, I do this every year just to see if I still can. <laughs> I was like, wow, <laughs> wow. I'm gonna roll down this hill and see if I still can. <laughs> so we were sort of on the same page. <laughs> All right, it's, this is going downhill pretty quick, I see. By the same token, some people are conditioned to obey God because they keep exercising their heart and their mind and their spirit and they, and when these things come, we, we realize I've got to deal with this. And so our degree of maturity determines how well we will handle offense without injury. And that's what we're talking about, without injury. In this world, you will have tribulation. In, in this world, to every man, there will come a season and time, multiple times, of the opportunities for offense. But it's not that we try to go through our lives avoiding being offended. But we're trying to go through our lives avoiding the injury of offense. 
that when these things come, help me to be mature enough, exercising myself enough that we can move beyond that. But I will tell you this, that some offenses will be far more challenging than anything we could ever train for. This strain may cause a wound or an injury after which we are going to have to exercise ourselves spiritually to ever be free and to ever be healed again. Real quick, how many people of here have ever had some form of physical therapy? Amen, that was pretty weak, but I'll accept it. I think more people have had more physical therapy than raised your hand. Amen. If you had any form of physical therapy, come on, let's come to church. Raise your hand. There you go. Some of those physical therapy actions and some of those exercises seem pretty trivial. It seems like, what's the use? But you see, someone that knows more about your injury than you do realizes that I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here to ruin your day. I'm not here to be cursed at and to be slandered. I'm here to help you. And so they realize that this may seem trivial, but if you'll just follow the plan, you can exercise yourself back to healing and and you can exercise that limb or whatever back into mainstream daily activity and the effort will be worth it in the end. This morning, I want to address some extreme, intense offenses that require just a little bit more to resolve than the average. Now, I, I, I have prayed long and hard about how deep to go with this today, how far to carry this, and so I feel like in to some degree that I'm just on a high wire, just trying to find some balance here. So I want you to just go with me and let's ask the Spirit of God to touch us because I'm not just talking today because I feel like somebody needs to fill up this time. I'm talking because I feel like God has us on a journey of healing. But I, I do wanna tell you this morning unequivocally that I understand firsthand the principles behind the subject that I have been teaching on for several weeks now. Of course, I, like many that are sitting here today, have experienced small offenses through our lives that just just a few aspirins, a BC powder, just a, just a little bit of Advil, just a little bit of ointment, spiritually speaking, and, you know, we just conquered it, just got on top of it. A little bit of this, a little bit of that, and after a while, we were just buoyant again and sailing alone. But I have also come to this pulpit today to tell you that I have experienced wounds that have cut me to the core of my soul. Now, I don't want you to sit here this morning and try to figure out whatever incident I may be referring to, and I'm gonna set the carnal at ease today that I'm not referring to anything that's ever happened here at this church. So please don't let the devil try to take your mind back to some point, place, and time I'm not talking to you or about you. I'm talking about me. I'm not trying to dredge up the past. But I do want you to know that I know what I'm talking about today. I'm not standing here trying to 
preach at you about some subject that I hope we can all just kind of feather our hands around. I'm standing before you today with blood on my hands. Amen. I understand. I really understand. I'm not trying to speak from a lofty pinnacle of some unscarred life, and as I've said many, many times, believe it or not, Sister Boyd and I do not live in these little rooms on the platform and pop out on Sunday and Wednesday. We have real life issues to encounter. The wind blows just as much sand up on our back porch as it does yours. And so we have to work just as diligently to keep the moat and this junk out of our own eyes and lives as anybody here. Amen. God didn't call me to preach and then take me to a mountain and carve some gigantic initial on my chest. He just called a common man, an an ordinary man, to an extraordinary office. But I am just trying to tell you that I've practiced what I'm preaching. I can assure you that I really do understand what David meant when he penned these words. Find it with me or write it down, Psalms 35, 11, and 12. And then just stay there for a moment, Psalms 35, 11, and 12. David said, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. Now let's just pause there for a moment. David said false witnesses did rise up and they laid to my charge things that I knew not. And so I think it's very safe to assume in this particular passage of scripture that David is not just saying that these are things that were laid to his charge that he had forgotten about. But I think David is saying these are trumped up charges. I'm not guilty of this. I didn't do this. And then verse 12 says, they rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling or to the distress of my soul. I could identify with David. I have been rewarded evil for good. I have had intentions misunderstood. I have been charged when I wasn't guilty. And then comes that slippery slope. When the enemy plants a thought in somebody else's mind, a false accuser's mind, and your actions then start validating what they have accused you of. Oh, come on now, somebody. You're innocent. Now, I will turn around and let you see that I'm not sprouting wings and there is no halo. I'm not talking about I've never done anything wrong, but I'm talking about instances in my life in particular. I can relate to David saying my soul was definitely in sorrow. And it it would have really, really, really served my flesh well if the Lord would have just allowed me to sulk about that. 
If I could have just kept sucking my thumb and pointing out how fairly, unfairly I was being treated, that would have satisfied my flesh. But it may have been detrimental to my spirit. I was standing in a particular situation where if I said anything at all in my defense, I would only look foolish. But by keeping silent, I certainly look guilty. Wow. Anybody ever been there? Sounds familiar. It's at those times that you, that you just really want to come out swinging. And you go to the Lord in prayer and that great big God that you know is just going to give you those words of wisdom to fix all of this says something like, the battle is not yours, but it's mine. So keep silent. Oh, I would love to tell you that we just dance our way away from those prayer meetings and say, thank you, Jesus. I just love you for speaking to me. But you really want to walk out going, are you sure? How sure of this are you? I confess this morning that it's a lot easier to preach. I am the Lord and I'll fight your battles. Vengeance is not yours, but it's mine, saith the Lord. It's a lot easier to preach that than it is to live that because we are all wrapped in the same garment. But if you really want to strike back, I want you to listen to what David says once again. Now, I'm going to preface what I'm about to read with what I've already read because I want there to be continuity. David said false witnesses did rise up They laid to my charge things I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. I trust that you have something to write this down with because as probably your physician has told you at some point in your life, you may feel a little pressure when I do this. So you might feel a little pressure. I love the dentist that always tells you, this may pinch just a little. (laughs) I'd hate to think what they would really mean when they said, I'm fixing to lay something on you that you're gonna remember for a long time. (laughs) So this may pinch a little. But chapter 35, Psalms 35, 13 and 14 he said, I was falsely accused. They rewarded me evil for good to spoil my soul. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting. And my prayer returned into my own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. Wow. Don't you wish you'd have came on a Sunday and was preaching about David and Goliath and the stone? The Amplified Bible says this, but as for me when they were sick, my, my clothing was sackcloth. I afflicted myself with fasting and I prayed with my head bowed on my breast. I behaved as if grieving for my friend or my brother. I bow down in sorrow as one who bewails his mother. 
David said, these men were trying to destroy me. They attacked him with evil when he had done nothing to merit it. He said, I don't even know what they're talking about. And so I gathered me a group of men and amassed an army and we went and we set up signs and a political stage and I began to tell my side of the story. No, no, no. He said, but as for me, when they were sick, I prayed for them. I covered myself in sackcloth. I afflicted myself with prayer and fasting and with my head bowed down and I grieved as though I were grieving for my own literal flesh and blood. Brother, I bowed down in sorrow as one who bewails his own mother. Now, I, I, I just, not wanting to lose you here today, I just want you to understand four words and these four words are really are going to be the foundation upon what I build, the rest of what I'm gonna say on today. David said these four words, but as for me. I can't put a sock in the mouths of those that are talking. I can't cut off the finger of those that are pointing. But David said, as, but as for me. (laughs) And so I wanna talk to some me's here in this house this morning. David's response was not based on the actions of others. Determined to do what was right, he prayed for them as if they were close brothers or as as though he were grieving for his own mother. In my pain and in my despair and in your pain and in your despair, here is the bottom line. You are going to have to decide what you are going to do. Amen, if you think the answer is to sit in their front yard and shoot bullets over the top of their house until they quit talking, you better have a lot of ammunition. If your plan plan is to somehow settle the score, then I promise you, you're gonna extend energy and waste time that you cannot get back. Amen, so... In your pain and in your despair and in my pain and in my despair, I came to this conclusion. I have to decide how I am going to respond to this. And so I will speak as my wife and I. Were we wounded? Yes, we were wounded. Was this going to be an ongoing thing? Apparently so. For many, many months, even a few years. Was our faith in people And was our faith in leadership challenged to its very core? Yes, it was. Could we see where this was going to end? No, we could not. Did we feel like we deserved this? No, we did not feel like we deserved this. It had all been abruptly laid in my lap and I can honestly say that we did not see this coming. There was no warning shot fired, however, I had a decision to make. We had a decision to make. But as for me, I can't change your mind. As a matter of fact, (laughs) I'm not sure that I can change anybody's mind. The Bible talks about Athaliah, who was the grandfather of Bathsheba. He was once a counsel to David, then became a counselor to Absalom and when he put together a sinister plan to have David killed and Absalom did not follow his plan, the Bible says that he went home, set his house in order and hanged himself. That's what the Bible says. 
Now think about that. You got to, that's a lot of plan in there. Somebody didn't take his advice. He went home, got his house in order, and then hung himself. If I hung myself, everybody didn't take my advice. <laughs> Let me even back up and say that differently. If I, if I hung myself everybody, every time somebody didn't take my advice, they'd ask for my advice. <laughs> Brother Osborne Brother Joe Osborne said, if you have children, if you have young children, you ought to plant a tree now because you're gonna need it later. You're gonna need one of those limbs because <laughs> at some point, believe it or not, they're not gonna take your advice. And so you have to decide, but as for me, but as for me, how am I going to respond to this? Somewhere in our spirit, we had to reach way down inside and ask God to help the healing process to begin. Please hear me this morning. If you have been wounded deeply, I want your undivided attention. You're not going to be healed with just one sermon nor one song. There won't just be one event that just whitewashes all of this into oblivion. It will be a process and it will be a very long process. I'm not trying to discourage you by that, not at all. But if you can get on the right road and point it in the right direction, I promise you that healing will come. Healing will come. There will come a day when you can walk before God, hear me, with a clean conscience. There will be a day you can lift holy hands without wrath and without doubting, amen. But we have to be determined in my spirit, amen. I may not be able to change that person. I may not be able to change that person. I may not be able to change their opinion of me. I may not be able to shut up their wagging tongue. I may not be able to stop their pointing fingers and all their railing accusations but as for me. This is not about trying to mow somebody else's yard. This is not about trying to fix somebody else's issues and problems, but it is a point in time that we realize, but as for me, I can't help this. I apparently can't stop this. Apparently, I am not in control of this runaway freight train, but there is one thing I am in control of, and that is me. And so I'm gonna go in the presence of God. Amen, I'm not talking about something that's real easy. I'm not talking about something that just, you know, to just take a baby aspirin and it all goes away. But I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna go back again until God purges my heart and my mind. But as for me, God, you can change me. You can change me. First Peter 4 and 8, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of, of sins. Let me say something here about charity or love as we call it. You, you can easily love somebody who can do no wrong in your eyes. <laughs> oh yeah. Somebody that just kind of levitates all around the world. Why, you can love them. That's honeymoon love. <laughs> in just a few days, Sister Boyd and I are gonna be celebrating our 33rd wedding anniversary and I'm thankful for that mile mark. And I'm also thankful to know with confidence that she is not with me just for my money. 
<laughs> she loves me for me. I truly feel like, and I'm not trying to get a response, but I truly feel like that she doesn't just love me, but I think she's still in love with me. How, however, she hasn't always felt warm and fuzzy toward me. There, there have been times she felt quite contrary to that. You know, June the 11th will be 33 years. Do you realize that if you had killed me the first time it crossed your mind, <laughs> you'd be getting out about now. You're just <laughs> free, as free as a bird. Free as a bird. I'd save the average sentence, 25 to 35. You'd probably be a good time and everything. You'd probably be free right now. <laughs> Hate to plant that seed in your mind. Can I get you back? Back to honeymoon love. It's one thing to love somebody that can do no wrong in your eyes, but it's another thing to love somebody when you know their faults. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a challenge. And bat them eyes and say, I love you, don't have quite the same effect when you know all the details. <laughs> well, maybe I'm just talking about our house and maybe y'all's house is completely different. Maybe you live in another time zone I'm unaware of. But when, when, when it's difficult to love somebody when you've been victimized by them. Amen. Come on now. If you're going to laugh with me, I don't mind that, but you stay with me for all of it. Because what I'm trying to do is give you some medicine and sugar, some medicine and sugar, medicine and sugar, because we're on a journey here. We're on a journey here. So it's a little bit more difficult to love someone when you've been victimized by them when you have no power to stop them, when you have no power to even seemingly slow it down. But if we'll allow God to have room in our lives, and I promise you, this is not just a preacher trying to sound like a preacher today. This is a man before you that knows what I am talking about. That if you will God give God room in your life, he can mature you spiritually to the point and strengthen your heart, amen. And from that moment until now, listen, I have had other situations arise, sure, but the Lord has allowed me to heal more quickly over that. Why? Because Paul said, here unto, because of this, I do exercise myself. I realize that if I am going to prevent some fatalistic injury in my life. I have got to exercise myself so that I make sure my conscience is void of, of uh, I've got to make sure that my conscience is void of offense toward God and toward man. Paul said, I got to get up every day with this on my mind. I got to work, I got to push, I got to try, I got to make some effort. I got to do something. If I am to avoid permanent injury, I got to do something. I don't exercise my heart because I don't want to just get loose from bondage one time and then find myself bound again. But I got to get over and I got to get over it and let the Spirit of God mature me to the point. 
You know, it's not an accident. It, when, when someone is 18 or 20 or 21 or 25 and, and something comes along in their life, it, it's not an accident that they've got a great deal of anxiety, but then you find somebody later on in their life in their 60s or their 70s or 80s and something comes along and they just seem a little bit more docile about those things. It's not because they're so close to the end they say, ah, what difference does it make? It's maturity. They've grown. They've lived long enough to realize that we'll live through this. It's raining today, but it's not always gonna be raining. It's dry right now, but it's not always gonna be dry. We serve a big God. He's gonna take care of it. I'm not trying to just wax this over with some lofty scriptures and, and, and King James jargon. I'm trying to tell you today that God really is in control. And when we mature, when we grow up and realize that God really will see us through these times, What I'm referring to here this morning was not a, in my life, was not a, our life, was not a small, isolated situation. This went on for several years. Much of it behind the scenes. Many, many people completely oblivious to what was going on. During that season of time, I, I really wondered if I would ever be free. It's not too heavy for you, is it? Because some people are so immature, they would rather the person speaking to them pretend they've never been through anything. But I just don't have it in me to pastor from that vantage point. I have to pastor not from my hip, but from my heart, and I hope you can handle that. At times, it seemed like I was even going in the wrong direction. I, I thought I was gaining ground, then all of a sudden I feel like I was losing ground. But in time, God allowed something to be born in our hearts that began to hold us secure. And while I would not wish that experience or anything like that on anyone, I can tell you that I'm thankful for the growth that it brought to me spiritually. I'm not suggesting I would wanna go through it again, but I am telling you this, that it was not time wasted because God put something in my heart. And God put some compassion in my heart. Amen. We grow in tough times. I hate to tell you, not in easy times. Hard places will always come in our journey with God. You just can't escape hard seasons. As a matter of fact, hard times were not meant to avoid, they were meant to be faced because they are a part of the process of becoming perfect in him. If you choose to run from them now, there are two things you risk. If you choose to run now, you risk always being a runner. The second thing you risk is that if you run now, you will seriously hinder your spiritual growth. And as you overcome different obstacles, you'll be stronger and more compassionate and you'll fall more in love with God. And, 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 and if you have come out of hardships and don't feel this way, you probably have not fully recovered from your offense. I worry about people that have come through hard times and they come out so judgmental and hard and harsh and critical. I'm telling you, you better go back into the operating room because that was not the intended end. That was not the intended end. 
Amen. I worry about judgmental people. I really do. I really do. Judge not. Lest you be judged. A serious thing. Some people that wouldn't think about smoking a Marlboro. Some people that wouldn't think about holding a can of Budweiser beer will put on a black robe of judgment and try the world at their dining table. God forgive you. Amen. This all right? God help us. We're not just talking about now lay me down to sleep, pray the Lord my soul to keep. I'm talking about God letting the tentacles of his spirit get down in our heart, root, pull, pry. I gotta get this out of my heart. I gotta stand before God. And so I tell you that if you come through hardships and you've got this ragged, rugged, raw edge, then I pray that God would help you to realize that, that recovery is your choice. Recovery is your choice. What I'm, I wanna just say, I'm not, I, I am not trying to be offensive, but I'm telling you that I cannot dare run the risk of just watering this down today. I've gotta to, I've got to deal with people that are trying to find a nail to hang all your problems on and, and name it something else and call it something else and pin it to that person and pin it to that person. I'm telling you today that we gotta stand like David and said, I've been accused of things. I don't even know what they're talking about. They keep pointing their fingers, they keep saying, they keep doing this, it's vexed my soul. But David said, here's how I'm gonna handle it. But as for me, recovery is a choice. What I choose to do is within my own power. Some people get hurt and they never recover it. And as cruel as this may sound, it was their choice. Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Stay with me now. Peter learned obedience by the things that he suffered. When Jesus said, Peter, you are going to deny me three times before the rooster crows and Simon, oh no, Lord, no, Lord, you, oh, you have grossly misunderstood. Oh, Lord, you don't even know. You just don't get how in love with you and how impassioned I am for you. But I was reading this passage of scripture just this week that when that rooster began to crow and the eyes of the Lord, amen, Peter, all of a sudden, that reality, the revelation, that prophecy that had now been fulfilled in his life, he went out, not like Judas, to find a rope and a limb, amen. He wasn't looking for a short rope and a high limb, but Peter said in this, but as for me, Judas said, I'm done. Judas said, it's over, but Simon Peter didn't say that. He said, but as for me, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna weep bitterly, hallelujah. I'm going to tell you today that recovery is my choice. It is up to me how I'm going to handle this. Paul learned obedience by the things that he suffered. I'll tell you, had there been another storm, had there been another shipwreck, had there been another angelic visitation, Paul would have said with even more assurance, another angel has stood by me yet on another night. And as before, he said, stay in the ship. And I know from experience that just because you're taking on water doesn't mean you jump out. 
Just because it's breaking into pieces doesn't mean it's over. Don't start planning your funeral now because an angel has stood by me. So Paul learned this. Where did he learn this? Not sitting at the feet of the learned men. No, no, no. Not sitting at the feet of the educated. That's not where he learned that. He didn't learn that God would take care of you no matter what. Where did he figure that out? He probably found some of that strength when he was sitting in a prison and somebody decided to sing and the jail started rocking and shaking. Where did he get it? He got it in suffering. I apologize to everybody here that has somehow been, been led to believe that if you'll just live for God, you'll never have another wrinkle in your garment. You speak in tongues and we'll provide you with the marshmallows to sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya. I deeply apologize to you if that's your perception of living for God. And so I ask you, what about you and what have you learned and are you hard and callous and cold and bitter and resentful? And if you are, you need to say, God, I gotta go back to the wheel. You better crawl on your belly. Amen, hear the preacher this morning, crawl on your belly back to Jeremiah 18 and find that potter's wheel and beg of those potter's hands to mold and form and shape and work and pry and get this more out of my life. Amen. There are offenses that will not roll off of you like water off a duck's back. You're gonna have to work through them. You'll struggle to get free. But in the process, you will grow and mature. And I, I, I just, bear with me, just, just bear with me. In, in, the, in the egg hatching process, we have several incubators and through the years we've hatched a lot of eggs. And early on, as we began to study this, and we were warned by, not only firsthand, but warned by others who had written about the process, that when a chick begins to make its way out of the egg, and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence, and I'm not trying to just bore you here, but I wanna make a point. That when a chick begins to break its way out of that egg, especially for, for people that are just newly doing this, it is it's very tempting not to help them out. as my wife often says, but they're struggling. (laughs) And even at times when I left her at home unattended. (laughs) I'm not just trying to trash her out. I am a little bit concerned about, you did smile pretty big while ago about the, about the, You'd be free now. You, 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 you grin pretty wide about that. But I understand the temptation. But you see, the Lord knows something's gonna be gained here. You just leave them alone. They're not dying as you suppose. They're, they're, they're not drowning as you suppose. Something powerful's going on. You know, I know you think it's just a little egg and a little chick, and I know you think it's probably a silly illustration, but you see, something powerful is going on between creator and creation. And he said, I designed this particular process. 
And you know what? They got to learn how to get through this. You know why? Because they got other things to conquer in their life. And you're not going to be there to chip the shell then. You're not going to be there to make everything all better. You're not going to be there to kiss the little boo-boo and make it all go away. And so let them struggle now. Let them fight now. Let them strain now. And some of those sweet little old darlings that we've hatched out, some of those little innocent looking things, if you don't watch them, they'll get up all over you right now. They stand on their own, believe me. (laughs) Because they got something in the process. Are you okay to go a few more minutes? According to Ephesians 2 and 2, the world is dominated by the prince of the power of the air. Now there's a lot of Holy Ghost filled Christians that don't even want to talk about stuff like this. You'd rather just sing everybody will be happy over there. Shout on Sunday and go home. But our world is dominated right now by the prince of the power of the air. And as a result, to enter into the maturity of Christ, there will be hardships that come to us simply because we're standing against the backflow of the spirit of this world and the spirit of this age. Yes. When, when you're rowing upriver, you're against the current. And so you don't just have to stop rowing to go the other way. All you gotta do is just slow down rowing. And the current will just gladly take you with it. Stay with me now. The current will gladly take you with it. So you've gotta be very diligent to push against the current. And we are in a world filled with a current. And you know what it is? The prince of the power of the air. (laughs) The spirit of this age, the spirit of this world. And so when the church takes a stand and says, we're not gonna dress like that. You know what you feel? Resistance. When, when the church says, you know what? We're not gonna go there and watch that and partake of that and saturate my mind with all. I'm not going there and doing that. You know what comes against you is the prince of the power of the air, the spirit of this age, the spirit of this world. And so we have to stand. And so, and so we have to not be dissuaded because there is a current coming against us. Amen. If your children think you are just the hottest thing going 365 days a year, you're probably not doing your job. And let me tell you, they don't need a pal. They need a parent. Amen. And I regret to say this next part in mixed company, but but if every now and then they almost slam their bedroom door off the hinges. You probably made the right decision. Now you need to go deal with that spirit of insurrection that almost slammed the door off the hinges. Amen. My mother was, my mother never weighed much over 100 pounds her whole life. 
But I, I, I can remember just flopping down on the floor and throwing a fit. And I can remember her bending over and saying, if you don't get up, I'm gonna get down there with you. And I had a divine revelation of what she meant. She wasn't talking about playing. It was gonna be a tussle and I had a strong feeling I was gonna lose. So now Paul returns to three cities where he birthed churches. I'm not just trying to preach on, on and on and on, preach on and on and on. Paul had returned to three cities where he birthed churches and his purpose was to, to strengthen the souls of his disciples. So I think it's interesting to see how he, how he strengthened them. So if you have Acts 14, 21, 22. Acts 14, 21, 22. This is how Paul came to encourage those churches that he had planted, the, the, the disciples of those churches. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned to Lystria, to Iconium, and to Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith. Are you ready now? And that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. <laughs> so Paul showed up and he said, I just want to confirm you. I want to say thank you. You guys are doing a wonderful job. I mean, this has been just awesome to see what you've been doing. But let me remind you something, gentlemen. This journey is not for the faint of heart. And he said that we must, through much tribulation, enter the kingdom of God. He didn't promise them a life of ease. He didn't promise them success according to the world's standard. But he showed them that if they were going to finish their journey with joy, then they were going to meet much resistance. They were going to meet something we call tribulation. And, and I promise you, as I mentioned a moment ago, if you are, we are uh, in a current. We are against the current of this world. We better be against the current of this world. Let me just say that. Amen. You better be against the current of this world. We, we better not be falling into the mindset of what, of what the prince of the power of the air would have us to do. And so if you stop rowing for just a moment to relax, the devil's gaining ground. If you just slow down to try to figure out where you are in all this. The devil is gaining ground. Are you trying to preach fear into us? No, 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 no. But I am trying to shake us and wake us and tell you that you cannot take a neutral position. You cannot just stand still. You cannot do that. Why? Because the prince of the power of the air never takes a day off. He never takes a minute off. He's after my soul. He's after my family. He's after my marriage. Hear me today. He's after this church. So I've got to learn to fix my focus on the end result and not the struggle. I really love how transparent Simon Peter was. 1 Peter 4 and 12 and 13, many could quote it. But he said, Beloved, think it not strange concerning fire and the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's suffering. 
that when His glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. I know I have pointed this out on I have pointed this out on multiple occasions. This out on multiple occasions. But Peter compares the extent of suffering to the extent of rejoicing. He does. Think it not strange, but he said, Rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's servant, that when his glory shall be revealed, he shall be made glad with exceeding joy. And so that's what we're pressing for when his glory is revealed with him. This glorying is to the degree that you allow him to perfect that character in you. And so I, I, I just, I'm just going to close. I just got to hush. But I just tell you this morning that our, if you take nothing home from this service, if you take nothing home from this message, if you can just boil it down to four words, I will be satisfied. But as for me, I have a choice. I have a decision, what I'm going to do with all this junk. I can't change them. I can't stop them. Apparently can't even influence them at times. And so, but as for me, I'm just going to march on. I wonder if we could slip our hands heavenward. And I wonder if we could let God. Now let's don't just rush through this. Let's don't just jump into the next segment of our service. But I wonder if you could just lift your hands and ask God to touch our heart, touch our minds and strengthen us, Lord, by the power of your divine power, your divine purpose, by the power, Lord, of your spirit, I pray that your anointing and your authority, oh God, will be upon us right now in the name of Jesus. Come on, let's pray. Amen, let's pray. Don't, don't, don't just gloss this over. We've been here many times and the devil would love for you to gloss this over and just call this another sermon and go home. But I pray, oh God, I pray, oh God, that you'll just let your spirit find a fertile place in our heart that we can pry and press our way into your presence. In the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.